0: I'm Mark, and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast for researchers who want to be more productive and achieve real-world impacts from their research. This week, I want to think about how we evidence impact from our research. Now, this is a preoccupation for many of us in the UK at the moment as we come towards the end of our current Research Excellence Framework period, and we've all got to uh, put together case studies and, uh, and actually evidence our claims. Uh, so in the vast majority of trainings that I'm going to at the moment, this is the, the one question on everyone's lips, how on earth could you prove that? Uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's actually a session that I run now, um, uh, named uh, How Would You Prove That? Because um, it's, it's quite fun, um, people coming up with crazy things that you think you would never be able to evidence. And uh, with a bit of thought and a bit of discussion, uh, I've yet to come up with something unevidenceable. Um I will admit, sometimes uh, the answers would require a substantial amounts of time, money, uh, etc. Uh, but in theory, uh, most things um, should in theory be evidenceable. So uh, what we're going to do in this episode is have a look at a new methodological framework for evaluating impact that I have um, led with a number of my colleagues. And uh, this is going to be a bit of a, an unusual uh, approach because I'm going to actually read from my paper. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I listen to audiobooks on a regular basis. Um, if you listen to podcasts, there's a good chance you do that as well. And, uh, and I find this is the only way that I can actually read entire books. Well, I do every now and then read a, a book uh, on my Kindle or on hard copy, but uh, the vast majority of the books I read are, are via Audible. Uh, And I've often thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if uh, some, some key papers that I need to read, I could listen to them on Audible as well, if only. Um, so uh, I'm going to do this for this uh, for this next paper and it's also my first foray into this uh, this whole thing that, that, uh, that we, we call preprints or prepublication versions that frankly terrifies me um, and I don't know if this is normal in your discipline but uh, across a growing number of disciplines as part of the open science movement which of course I love fantastic. Um, is this idea that uh, when you submit to your paper, that you will put it on a pre-print server. And there are a number of journals, um, Plus One for example, uh, that uh, when you submit it, they recommend that you put it onto their pre-print server. And now while this is out for review, it is available on this server. And when, uh, if eventually your paper gets accepted, then it gets replaced with the uh, the final version. Uh, and what terrifies me uh, is, is just, well, what if your reviewers spot some horrendous flaw? Um, and uh, yeah, if this is something quite high stakes um, with recommendations, maybe for policy, then people could be doing stuff based on your dodgy science. And you had no idea it was dodgy until the reviews came back. And now you're thinking, who the hell's downloaded this? What, what are they doing with it? How do I get the right version to them? Um, not not, to, not not as much on the embarrassment of the fact that uh, that yeah you had the old version and I got the new version which is completely different and clearly the old version was completely rubbish. Yeah, uh, it takes some guts. So all of you out there who are doing the preprints or everything, respect. I, I yeah, you have way more guts than I do. <laughs> um, And so I'm effectively doing it with this paper, but I'm doing it because this is a fairly uh, low-risk situation. ISSA's gone out for peer review. We've got the peer review comments back. Um, They came back saying it was major revisions, um, and um, yeah, I don't know how you feel about this. Uh, Sometimes you get major revisions, and you're like... Oh my goodness, uh, this is going to take as long as it took to write the paper to sort these out. <laughs> and in this case, it said major revisions, and huh, you just got to combine a few of your um, uh, your, your types and your typology, uh, do a better review on causation, on and add a few references. And yeah, that was actually not that bad. It was fairly painless. Um, so we'll see. I mean, they'll probably put it back out to the reviewers, and I could be proven wrong on this, but, uh, but uh, in theory this is going to be coming out um, in the journal research policy. Uh, at some point, I, I assume early next year, um, and on the basis of the review feedback, I'm fairly sure there, there are no major flaws in this, and so uh, here you go. Uh, so this is a very different style to my normal podcast, um, uh, and we'll see how the time goes. I may split it into two episodes. Uh, so, I'm going to read from the paper, uh, or oh, I should actually just say who my co-authors are, uh, give credit where credit is due, so uh, Mary Ferry, uh, Mar- uh, Julia Martin Ortega, Uh, Martin Dalmer and uh, Joe Holden, all from uh, University of Leeds and part of the ICASP project. And this is an ICASP project publication. ICASP is a NERC-funded project generating impact um, from NERC-funded research. I'm the evaluation chair for that project. We also have uh, Ruth Lawford-Rolfe. Uh, Ruth is an impact officer um, uh, working with the researchers uh, in that team and I wanted to have someone from professional services on this paper to keep our feet on the ground and make sure that this this worked and resonated for uh, audiences that were both academic and professional services. And finally we have uh, Rachel Blanche who's actually fourth author on on this list. She's made a a major contribution to this. She is an arts and humanities scholar from uh, Queen Mary University, Edinburgh I actually met her during a training, um, it was inspired by her research um, and, uh, and realised uh, I had a problem with this paper in the, to the Arts and Humanities area, it was a bit of a blind spot for us as a team, I knew there was a lot of rich stuff there, and wow, uh, we, we uncovered so much richness that uh, we're talking about doing a separate paper, just the two of us, to explore it fully. So. Uh, let's dive in with <coughs> the <coughs> the introduction. Uh, in fact, I'd like to do the abstract so you kind of know where this is going. So the, the background is that uh, interest in impact evaluation has grown rapidly as research funders increasingly demand evidence that their investments lead to public benefits. This paper analyzes literature to provide a new definition of research impact and impact evaluation It develops a typology of research impact evaluation designs and proposes a methodological framework to guide evaluations of the significance and reach of impact that can be attributed to research. Our method is an adapted grounded theory analysis of of research impact evaluation frameworks drawn from cross-disciplinary peer-reviewed and grey literature. Three results, first of all, recognizing the subjective nature of impacts as they're perceived by different groups in different places, times and cultures, we define research impact evaluation as the process of assessing the significance and reach of both positive and negative effects of research. We identify five types of impact evaluation design and we identify these as First of all, quantitative, experimental, and statistical. Secondly, theory of change and logic-driven. Thirdly, qualitative and arts-based. Fourth, systems and pathway analysis. And fifth, evidence, uh, evidence and synthesis. And then the third and final finding is that our guidance enables impact evaluation design to be tailored to the aims and context of the evaluation. For example, choosing a design to establish sole direct attribution versus evaluating the contribution of research to impact in more complex complex cases and choosing the most appropriate evaluation design for the type of impact being evaluated. Our conclusion... Using the proposed definitions, typology and methodological framework, researchers, funders and other stakeholders working across multiple disciplines can select a suitable evaluation design and methods to evidence the impact of research from any discipline. So let's move to the introduction. Interest is growing rapidly in the evaluation of non-academic benefits or impacts arising from research, as funders and governments around the world increasingly seek evidence of the value of their research investments to society. The growth of research over the past few decades has outstripped available public funding in many countries, leading to discussions about how to get best value from research, particularly basic research which may not have immediate application. The global financial crisis of 2007 and 2008 further intensified discussions about how to measure the quality of research and how to evaluate its societal value, to provide public research funding agencies with evidence to justify budgetary requests to governments. The drive to evaluate the societal impact of research is exemplified by the assessment of non-academic impact in the UK's Research Excellence Framework in 2014 and 2021, or REF, the system for assessing the quality of research in UK higher education institutes. And the growing trend to evaluate research impact at national scales around the world, At this point, I'll go to box one, where uh, we've tried to do uh, an assessment. If you've seen this on Twitter, we uh, crowdsourced some of this of everything that exists around the world. So box one is national research impact assessments around the world. And let's start with Europe. Horizon Europe has the most advanced programme of impact evaluation that has been seen in any EU framework programme across Europe. Governments are incentivising the generation of impact through conditions attached to research funding and through research evaluations, which increasingly evaluate impact alongside research excellence. For example, the UK's research excellence framework REF incorporated an evaluation of impact using case studies, which comprised 20% and 25% of total scores in 2014 and 2021, respectively. Impacts were evaluated in terms of their relative significance and reach. And unlike other impact assessments elsewhere in Europe, government funding to higher education institutes was then linked to that outcome, A recent survey suggested 57% of UK researchers held negative attitudes towards REF 2021 compared to 29% positive. Netherlands. Since 2015, Dutch universities have had to submit three to five page impact narratives for each of their research units as part of their six yearly standard evaluation protocol. Sweden. Since 2019, Swedish Research Council's strategic research centres have to submit impact case studies for evaluations based on a template derived from the UK's REF. Italy's research quality evaluation evaluates technology transfer activities in Italian universities and research bodies. From 2019, the Spanish National Commission on the Evaluation of Research Performance has provided monetary incentives to researchers who submit evidence of impact and influence, I quote, uh, of their research, uh, quoting again, on social and economic matters as part of their six-yearly individual research performance review. Norway's HUMOVAL exercise 2015-17 assesses research at the unit of research groups, and social sciences and environmental research institutes are expected to submit impact case studies based on the UK's REF model. Poland will soon follow suit with their own research impact assessment planned for 2020. Finland. In, the, in 2019, the Strategic Research Council agreed a set of funding principles mandating impact assessment in all their programmes requiring funded projects to report impacts, as well as challenges encountered, which are given to external evaluators who assess how well the programme has, I quote, solved the challenges facing society and how efficient this funding instrument is in promoting such research. And this includes the promotion of public debate. Evaluation reports for the first four programmes are expected towards the end of 2020. Finally, now for the rest of the world, Hong Kong has broadly replicated the UK's REF methodology in its 2020 research assessment exercise. In Australia, uh, Engagement and Impact Assessment was introduced as part of Excellence in Research for Australia in 2018. New Zealand. In 2018, the Tertiary Education Committee released the Terms of Reference for a review of its performance-based research fund, which had a strong emphasis on assessing impact, and a consultation on impact assessment as part of the next round of the PBRF is being launched in 2019. And finally, the America Creating Opportunities to Meaningfully Promote Excellence in Technology, Education, and Science, or COMPETES, as its known Reauthorization Act of 2010, highlighted that... A, quote, broader impacts criterion was crucial for the National Science Foundation funding and encouraged higher education and non-profit organisations to take an institutional approach to achieving societal impacts in determining their accountability. In 2016, the National Science Foundation, National Institute of Health, U.S. Department of Agriculture and U.S. Environmental Protection Authority developed a data repository for assessing the impact of federal research and development investment. (coughs) Returning to the rest of the introduction then... In this paper, we refer to evaluation as the process of collecting and interpreting data to assess the significance, reach and attribution of impacts from research. We refer to evidence as the communication or demonstration of impact based on robust evaluation. However, defining the benefits of research is a highly subjective process, and a benefit for one group in one place, time, or culture may be perceived as damaging the interests of others, for example, other groups, future generations, or the environment. The diversity of benefits and perceptions of benefits arising from research presents a major methodological challenge for evaluating and evidencing impact claims. As an illustration, 3,709 unique impact pathways were identified from the 6,679 case studies submitted to REF 2014. In the face of such diversity, there can be no single process or checklist for evaluating and evidencing impact. Rather, methods need to be adapted to the unique impacts, pathways and contexts associated with research on a case-by-case basis. There is no shortage of methods for evaluating research impact. The challenge, therefore, lies in choosing the most appropriate methods in an evaluation design that is suited to a given impact and context. Guidance from the realms of evidence-based policy and practice and research-informed international development typically follows a hierarchy of methods based implicitly on their assumed accuracy and the minimisation of bias. Randomised controlled trials sit at the top of this notional hierarchy, followed by quasi-experiments, mixed methods, and qualitative methods. Implicit in this hierarchy is the idea that quantitative methods are superior to qualitative methods. Uh, This hierarchy may be valid in the evaluation of some types of impact in certain contexts. For example, where it's possible to isolate and evidence the sole cause, for example, an intervention based on research of any given effect, uh, the impact. However, it's increasingly clear that the relationship between research and societal impact is far more indirect, non linear, and complex than many evaluation frameworks allow. Indeed, it's rare for an impact in any domain to be solely attributable to a single research project or output. More commonly, impacts arise from a body of knowledge that may include hundreds or even thousands of strands of research, some of which may stretch back several decades. Moreover, effects from research are often mediated by many other enabling factors. For example, new incentives, economic volatility, or changing attitudes without which the impacts would not have been possible. Furthermore, pathways to impact, the knowledge exchange or engagement activities that facilitate impact are often littered with unintended positive or negative consequences, time lags, lack of research or control over the implementation of recommendations, ethical challenges, spillover effects, and knowledge creep. And that, uh, ma- and that makes evaluation difficulty. difficult. <coughs> Sorry, a typo. <laughs> I'm correcting it as I go. Uh, <coughs> uh, even when these factors are taken into account, a few evaluations of research impact draw on the latest literature or are aware of the full range of evaluation options available. As a result, many evaluations of research impact are not able to capture the multifaceted, complex and long-term benefits arising from research, and so can lack credibility, and potentially offer few lessons to enhance future practice in research or impact domains. In response to these challenges, there have been calls for research impact evaluation to draw on mixed methods approaches, triangulating evidence from uh, multiple sources to demonstrate rigour. Evaluating and evidencing impact is harder for some research disciplines than others. The impact agenda aligns well with the norms and practices of some, especially more applied disciplines, and the intrinsic motivations of certain researchers legitimising their investment of time and energy in the pursuit of impact. However, there is evidence that other researchers, especially from arts, humanities, and pure science disciplines, whose work may have no obvious or concrete application or immediate or obvious public interest, are concerned by expectations that their work should generate impact and feel that their academic freedom is under threat from the increasing evaluation and increasing, and especially metricization of impact. With this in mind, it's important to emphasise that rather than legitimising a narrowing and instrumentalization of impact through evaluation, we seek to provide a holistic and adaptive framework within which to think critically about a diverse range of impacts from research from any discipline. In this paper, we attempt to tackle some of the key challenges of evaluating and evidencing impacts arising from research. We do so by proposing a comprehensive research impact evaluation typology and methodological framework based on an analysis of evaluation frameworks from multiple disciplines. Methodological frameworks currently available are not well adapted for application beyond the disciplines within which they were originally developed. By comparing impact evaluation frameworks from different research fields, we hope to enable researchers, funders, and other stakeholders to easily select, and where relevant integrate, the most appropriate methods for evaluating and evidencing the impact of research. Our analysis makes a theoretical contribution by providing new and universally applicable definitions of research impact, and impact evaluation in a field that is dominated by discipline specific and technocratic definitions. We make a methodological contribution by proposing the first typology of research impact evaluation designs, which we use as the basis of a wider methodological framework to guide rigorous impact evaluations in any discipline. Section 2 is called Definitions, What is Research Impact Evaluation? Question uh, mark And to, to start that, Section 2.1 has to, of course, ask the question, then, what is research impact? A number of definitions of research impact have been developed, primarily in technical documents guiding research assessments. For example, the Australian Research Council, uh, Research England, etc or within narrow disciplinary contexts. And a bunch of other references that I've uh, quoted here. Uh, Throughout all of this, of course, loads of references. I'm kind of cutting them out just to make this read a bit easier. Uh, Allah et al. 2017 reviewed 108 definitions, noting the tendency to discuss rather than define impact and called for greater conceptual clarity on impact. Their definition was tailored specifically for use in health policy contexts. There are problems with many of the existing definitions of research impact. For example, they tend to restrict their focus to certain types of beneficiary to the exclusion of others. For example, Research England's 2019 anthropocentric focus on, quote, economy, society, and or culture, to the apparent exclusion of environmental impacts, non-human beneficiaries, and future generations. They also typically combine definitions of impact with typologies, listing examples of types of impact as part of their definition. For example, Nutley et al. 2007 and Morton 2015 define impact as changes in, quote, awareness, knowledge, and understanding, ideas, attitudes, and perceptions, and policy in practice as a result of research. Temporal dimensions of impact are rarely considered. As Brewer, 2011, noted, impact, quote, varies over time and can change positively or negatively at the one point snapshot whenever it is measured. The most widely used definitions rarely explicitly recognize the subjectivity associated with determining who benefits from research and how, and the extent to which research can be shown to have made a necessary or sufficient contribution towards the benefit. Impact is in the eye of the beholder. A benefit perceived by one group at one time and place may be perceived as harmful or damaging by another group at the same or another time or place. These value judgments and assumptions are implicit in most definitions of research impact, which are rarely unpacked. The word impact could, of course, refer to positive or negative effects of research, but the implicit focus is on benefits. A researcher aspiring to achieve one impact may discover unexpected alternative benefits or unintended negative consequences. As such, there is a normative assumption underpinning the impact agenda that research should seek positive and not negative impacts this focus on seeking positive outcomes matches perceptions of impact evaluators who were interviewed by Samuel and Derek 2015 as part of the Ref 2014 process which showed most viewed impact as an outcome that they would refer that they would define as a change or, quote, difference, that was conceptualised by some as the, quote, final outcome, and by others as a series of secondary or intermediary outcomes that may ultimately lead to the final outcome. As such, our definition recognises and makes explicit this normative dimension of impact as benefit. Finally, definitions of research impact rarely consider the nature or level of attribution between research and impact, which can vary considerably. The causal relationship between research and impact can be, one, necessary. The research was necessary to generate the impact, implying sole attribution between research and impact. Two, the causal relationship could be sufficient. The research was sufficient to generate the impact, but there may be additional causes, implying likely attribution, or that the research played a significant role in leading to the impact. And three, the causation could be contributory. The research was one of many causes leading to the effect, implying that the research may not have been necessary or sufficient to generate the impact. There could have been other confounding factors. Uh, A wee typo there. Um, uh, The uh, the impact of any impact evaluation is to establish. So the task, did I say that? The task of any impact evaluation is to establish whether or not there is a causal relationship between research and impact, providing evidence that the research was sufficient at least or necessary at best, rather than just being contributory to the impact. Necessary and sufficient cause can be established in a number of ways. Counterfactual causation is demonstrated by showing that it's plausible that the research led to the impact and that the impact would not have been possible without the research. Additive causation is demonstrated by showing a dynamic relationship between research and impact variables such that one varies with the other. Generative causation, um, is demonstrated by showing that sorry is by showing by showing the mechanism or process that causes the research to generate impact each of these types of cause and effect relationship may be demonstrated probabilistically for example using experimental design and statistics or through triangulation where multiple sources of evidence are compared to infer a likely relationship Building on these considerations, we define research impact as perceived and demonstrable benefits to individuals, groups, organisations and society including human and non-human entities in the present and future that are causally linked necessarily or sufficiently to research. I'm going to read that again so you don't have to um, uh, wind that back because this is a a crucial point. Um, We define research impact as perceived and demonstrable benefits to individuals, groups, organisations and society, including humans and non-human entities in the present and future, that are causally linked necessarily or sufficiently to research. Section 2.2 What is research impact evaluation? Although, by definition, see uh, the previous section, the impact agenda focuses on benefits, it's clear that there may be a variety of perspectives that may challenge whether or not research led to unquestionably beneficial outcomes. It's therefore essential that the process of impact evaluation looks even-handedly at these different perspectives to provide researchers with formative feedback that can enable them to learn from mistakes, identify and hopefully reduce negative outcomes during the pathway to impact, and build capacity for more responsible research and innovation. If this is not possible, then an impact evaluation needs to represent the diversity of perspectives on the outcomes of the research, whether positive or negative, based on the same ethics that govern the research process itself. We therefore define research impact evaluation as the process of assessing the significance and reach, defined later in this section, of both positive and negative effects of research. I'll say that again. We define research impact evaluation as the process of assessing the significance and reach of both positive and negative effects of research. Impacts may be evaluated over different time horizons, at different social scales, say from individuals to society, spatial scales from local to international, and across multiple domains, including social, economic, environmental, health and well-being, and cultural. In addition to these ultimate impact domains, there are a range of intermediary domains where impacts can occur, including understanding and awareness, attitudinal change, behavior change and decision-making uh, So that was one, category sorry, behavior change and decision-making, policy and capacity building. I should know this. it's based on uh, my own t- t- typology from the research impact handbook. Our approach focuses on evaluating impact uh, in uh, two ways. Uh, first of all, on uh, impa- uh, sorry, uh, impact on individuals and organisations, including funders who may be engaging directly with research, or who are the object of research, or uh, who are being targeted in other ways as beneficiaries of a research project, and to those indirectly affected by research. We are interested in how these individuals or organisations learn, think, behave and benefit, or are compromised or harmed, as a result of their engagement with research. As such, evaluation of impact must go beyond the measurement of outcomes to more nuanced assessments of tacit and implicit effects of research that may need to be accessed indirectly and evaluated in qualitative terms. Based on the definition of impact above, it is clear that impact evaluation is not only concerned with identifying ultimate end of pipe impacts, for example, economic or health and wellbeing impacts uh, benefits, but also the range of intermediate impacts that occur on the pathway to impact, such as uh, understanding and awareness, behavior change and policy. Significance and reach are the two most commonly used criteria to assess impact from research, as used, for example, in the UK's Research Excellence Framework. The significance of an impact can be defined as the magnitude or intensity of the effect of research on individuals, groups, or organisations. The reach of an impact can be defined as the number extent or diversity of individuals, groups, or organizations that benefit from research. Reach can be understood in two ways: First, scaling out refers to impact, an impact spreading socially from one individual, community, organization, or interest group to another and or spatially, for example, from the farm to the catchment level or from one state to, or country to another. Second, scaling up and scaling down, refer to an impact reaching a higher or lower institutional or governance level. For example, from influencing individual behavior change and changing policy mechanisms, for example, regulation, to influencing the policy frameworks within which those mechanisms sit. Alternatively, scaling up could range from changing individual perceptions to social learning, where ideas spread through social networks to become situated in communities of practice or social units. To take another example, scaling up could range from informal changes in individual professional practice to changes in codes of conduct, professional guidance or organisational practice. These processes can operate in reverse, where impacts scale down from higher to lower institutional or governance levels. For example, evidence-based policies operationalized through regulation that affect individual individual behavior change. another typo. (laughs) Always a good thing to to read your paper before, uh, before you submit it. Uh, These two dimensions of reach are linked in the sense that scaling up an impact to higher institutional levels increases the probability of more widespread adoption of ideas, practices and other changes that reach new beneficiaries at wider social and spatial scales. So we're done with uh, with definitions, and I hope you've found that uh, that useful. And I hope there's some uh, some new stuff in there as well that moves us forward. Uh, let's move to the methods, and then I'm going to close this episode um, with uh, an introduction to the uh, to the typology, because uh, I've been going on for quite some time now. Uh, so. Uh, The methods, section three. We analyse existing theoretical and methodological frameworks for impact evaluation from a range of fields using an adapted to grounded theory analysis to develop robust definitions of research impact and impact evaluation and a novel methodological framework, including a new typology of research impact evaluation designs. To do this, we started by using a narrative review of cross-disciplinary peer-reviewed literature to identify a wide range of evaluation frameworks and methods that could be used to evaluate impact from research. We also considered grey literature from the non-academic realm. Grey literature included documentation capturing the way in which governmental departments and agencies. Non-governmental organisations and other organisations evaluate their own impact and impacts more broadly within their sector, including the evaluation of actual or likely benefits as well as negative impacts, for example, the assessment of environmental, economic or social impacts of policies as part of the policy appraisal process. Unlike systematic reviews or meta-analyses, a narrative literature review is an expert-based, quote, best evidence synthesis of key literature. It does not seek to capture all literature. Uh, Greenhalgh et al., 2018, argue that such methods may be more appropriate than systematic approaches for reviews that aim to pursue a broad overview via expert synthesis of literature and where it's harder to identify specific outcome measures, as is the case here. Given the wide range of frameworks and methods that can be adapted to evaluate impact from almost every discipline, the goal was to generalize across this literature rather than to provide an exhaustive list of frameworks and methods, to identify a comprehensive list of distinctive types of impact evaluation. We sought to illustrate the breadth of methods available to operationalise each type of evaluation and show how different approaches and methods can be used to evaluate different types of impact. Google Scholar for peer-reviewed literature and books and Google for grey literature were searched by two co-authors with the, the keywords impact, evaluation, monitoring, research and framework reading until theoretical saturation was reached in the categories that emerged. See the grounded theory analysis approach below. Despite early criticism of the reliability of Google Scholar, Uh, Fagus et al. 2008, more recent analyses have shown strong correlations between citation counts in Google Scholar, Web of Science, and Scopus, with Google Scholar consistently returning the highest percentage of citations across subject areas. (coughs) And that's Martin and Martin et al. 2018 with significant coverage def- deficiencies in Web of Science and Scopus, uh, another Martin and Martin paper from 2018. Uh, subsequent to, list, to this, um, uh, further searches were performed for arts-based arts based methods, which were underrepresented in the search results using arts and humanities and arts-based methods, as our search terms, in combination with the previous search terms. Following an adapted grounded theory analysis approach, then, Strauss and Corbin, 1997, open coding of literature was used to identify emergent themes, continuing to read until theoretical saturation was reached for each theme. Axial coding was then used to organize themes into theoretical constructs that informed the development of the typology and methodological framework for research impact evaluation. Section 4. This is a very large section, so I'm going to start with the introduction, give you a flavour of what is going to uh, come next. The methods for evaluating impacts are as numerous and diverse as the research and impacts they seek to evaluate. There is no gold standard method, checklist or standard process. Rather than attempting to lay out a prescriptive methodology for impact evaluation, this section reviews the general approaches to evaluation design, within which any number of methods can be selected and or arranged. Here, we distinguish between evaluation design as a framework within which different evaluation methods can be chosen or arranged. For example, systems approaches that integrate relevant methods for evaluating different system components whilst providing assessments of links and feedbacks between those components. Or family of related evaluation methods, as another way of thinking about uh, evaluation design or or frameworks. Uh, And the example here is qualitative versus quantitative methods. Sorry, long sentence. Um, As with any choice of design and methods in research, this will be influenced by the ontology epistemology, and theoretical perspective of the choice maker. Uh, For example, quantitative, experimental, and statistical evaluation designs are more likely to arise from a realist ontology, objective epistemology, uh, and positivist theoretical perspective, whereas qualitative and arts-based evaluation designs are more likely to arise from a relativist ontology, subjective epistemology, and constructivist, interpretivist, or postmodern theoretical perspective. Uh, if you want more on uh, uh, ontology, epistemology, and theoretical perspectives, um, I quoted Moon and Blackman, 2014. Stick that uh, phrase into Google Scholar and you get the paper. Uh, it really does simplify um, all of that jargon, uh, trust me. Uh, That was an aside. Uh, Following this approach, it is possible to design an evaluation that has the potential to generate highly rigorous data. However, it is important to ensure that the methods selected within the design are proportionate, as the most rigorous forms of data collection may only be necessary for high-risk evaluations. For example, randomised controlled trials are essential to claim impacts from drug discovery. Or where there is sensitivity or controversy. For example, impacts arising from research that disrupts the market or challenges long-held beliefs. Depending on the purpose of the evaluation, for low-risk, uncontroversial impacts, it may be possible to choose methods within a type of evaluation that are quick and cost-effective. For example, online surveys, case studies, or testimonials. Adding additional data and methods as resources are available to ensure the findings are sufficiently robust. Two key theoretical constructs emerged from the analysis of literature and these are conceptualised in Figure 1, which you can't see but it's just simply a a two-by-two matrix, as two continua along which uh, research impact evaluations can be arranged or categorised. One, evaluation designs with a summative focus. Uh, on achieving, evidencing, and claiming impacts, and being accountable, referred as uh, sorry referred to <coughs> sorry referred to as external evaluation by Richards in two thousand and eight, versus uh, a design with a more formative focus on ongoing monitoring, learning, adaptation, and taking epistemic, epistemic responsibility for the generation of impact. Uh, The second theoretical construct um, was evaluation designs that trace direct sole attribution. This is research as a necessary cause of impact, uh, as we discussed earlier, versus designs that trace pathways to impact and assess the significance of the contribution that the research made to the impact as one of a range of contributing factors. Research as a sufficient cause of impact, as we described earlier. So uh, imagine if you can uh, uh, two lines uh, in a cross and we've got uh, the, the x-axis running horizontally from formative to summative um, and we've got the y-axis running vertically from research as a sufficient cause of impact to research as a necessary cause of impact. And in uh, those four quadrants then we can map uh, the various different types of evaluation design that we've got in our typology. So, uh, figure one, as I've just described, shows how the five different types of impact evaluation design that emerged from the literature, which are covered in the next section, were categorized in relation to these two continua leading to the typology. The majority of approaches to impact evaluation are either mainly used in summative mode or are used either in summative or formative mode. There are approaches designed to disentangle the contribution research has made towards an impact as one of a range of different factors, demonstrating that the research was sufficient to cause impact, and methods that are typically used to demonstrate sole direct attribution between research and impact, demonstrating that research was necessary to cause impact. The position of approaches in uh, Figure 1 is approximate, and necessarily generalised, given the diversity of methods that can be used to operationalise each approach. Um, And I'm going to maybe change that word approach. What I mean is uh, the evaluation design to illustrate how the approaches are typically used in practice. As such, Figure 1 shows how the evaluation designs in the typology are arranged, are arranged from more formative approaches that establish the contribution research makes to impact in the bottom left, to more summative approaches that establish sole direct attribution from research to impact in the top right. Given the wide range of options, rather than attempting to catalogue all possible methods Table 1, which we're going to go into uh, next week, identifies six. You know what? Are they six? Um, no, they're five. Uh, we were asked to, uh, to to combine two of these. Uh, I'm correcting as I go. Five different types of evaluation design from the literature, within which a range of methods are then nested. Each type of impact evaluation design takes a different approach to establishing attribution and between Sorry. again, uh, (coughs) there's a typo there, sorry. Let me start that sentence again. Each type of impact evaluation design takes a different approach to establishing attribution between research, cause, and impact, effect. Each type gives rise to different forms of evidence, ranging from testimonials and other forms of qualitative evidence, to statistical inferences and other forms of quantitative evidence. Some types of evaluation design have distinct epistemological and or disciplinary roots, for example, experimental or arts-based approaches, but are not restricted to evaluating impacts from this sort of research. For example, experimental approaches could be used to evaluate impacts arising from arts and humanities research, and arts-based methods could be used to evaluate impacts arising from experimental research. So the rest of the section then reviews each type of impact evaluation in turn, considering some of the key advantages and limitations associated with each. So I'm going to tell you what the five types are. and uh, give you a a few examples of each and I'll conclude there so uh, I'm not going to leave you hanging entirely till next week but uh, next week we will then have a look at each of these in, uh, in turn. Um, So in the table, uh, this is a similar table to the table that you'll see in Chapter 22 of the Research Impact Handbook, if you've got that. Uh, Column uh, A in this is uh, the type of research impact evaluation. But the last column is the type of impact that this type of evaluation will typically uh, give you evidence for. Uh, and so one way of using this as a table is to start, well, what is the impact I need to evaluate? Let's go to the last column and now let's then use that to choose what might be an appropriate uh, evaluation design. So uh, we've got five types, quantitative, experimental and statistical. We've got a theory of change or logic driven. We've got systems system and pathway analysis and we've got qualitative and arts based. Uh, oh, and evidence synthesis. So um, examples of quantitative, experimental and statistical, uh, statistical modeling, longitudinal analysis, econometrics, payback framework, difference in difference method, double difference methods, propensity score matching, um, and lots more. I'm not gonna read through the whole list. Uh, theory of change or logic driven um, is simply two methods, uh, theory of change and uh, logical uh, logic models. Um, and so within that, we've got logic fra- logical framework analysis, payback frameworks, uh, and there are lots of other different types of logic model out there. Systems and pathway analysis. Um, a few examples. We've got contribution analysis, knowledge mapping, social network analysis, Bayesian networks, agent based models, dynamic systems models, influence diagrams, participatory systems mapping, etc. Qualitative and arts based. This is a very long list. Uh, we've got testimonials, ethnography, participant observation, qualitative comparative analysis, linkage and exchange model, interviews, focus groups, opinion polls, and surveys. Uh, Other textual analysis, for example, focus group and interview data, participatory monitoring and evaluation, Uh, skip through some of these, uh, oral history, storytelling, digital cultural mapping, uh, social or other media analysis, poetry and fiction, uh, music and dance, and theatre. And if you're wondering how, uh, I I will tell you next week. Um, and and then finally, evidence synthesis. Um, so whether that's meta-analysis, narrative synthesis, realist-based synthesis, rapid evidence synthesis, or systematic reviews. Lots to choose from. Um, so I'm going to go through some more uh, in, uh, in Table 1, looking at the characteristics of these, uh, the way in which they establish cause and effect between research and impacts, uh, some of the examples of the types of impact that you might get from these. Uh, and talk in more depth about each of these different uh, categories of research evaluation and then discuss these to come up with the uh, the full methodological framework. Next week, um, and and as, as as you can see, this uh, I've, I've come up with a new uh, a new a new kind of approach to writing papers here, haven't I? Because um, yeah, it's always that thing when you're reading a paper th- before you're about to resubmit that you can kind of uh, skim over uh, that section. Oh, I've read that so many times, and actually, there's a really embarrassing typo right in the middle of it. I have spotted numerous typos, uh, so it will be a better paper. Thanks, uh, t- thanks to you listening to this. Uh, I do apologise if that's uh, made it slightly challenging to listen to at times um but Uh, Lots to learn from here. We've got uh, impact. uh, We've got uh, an impact definition, uh, a a formal academic, uh, theoretically grounded, uh, I would argue, uh, impact uh, definition uh, that that I hope will be widely used to, uh, I think, solve some of the problems with the existing definitions that we've got. We've got a definition of of, uh, impact evaluation uh, as well, which I think is also useful as a starting point. If you want to, to try and do this, you have to know what it is that you're doing. Uh, We've got um, some thinking uh, around significance and reach, um, and a new approach to thinking about reach in two very different different ways. Um, We've uh, we've had to think uh, then uh, about uh, various different types of causation, uh, sufficient versus necessary or contributory, and within that the various different types of causation that you can use uh, within an impact evaluation. And we've begun to think uh, about, uh, in theory, uh, some of the constructs that might distinguish one type of evaluation from another, whether it's formative or summative, whether this is about uh, sole direct or necessary um, a contribu- a necessary causation versus a sufficient causation. And you've got a sense of what those different types of evaluation might in fact look like. So hopefully lots of food for thought to be mulling over before you get your second installment next week. <coughs>